Why don't we go ahead and get started? Welcome, everyone. It's nice to see you here on a hot summer evening. And uh, I feel really grateful that people are interested in reflecting on the loving-kindness practice. In a way, this, this way of working with our mind or working with our heart probably the most amazing thing in the world is why we don't do this more often. I mean, this is really the way to live, to orient the heart, orient the mind toward loving kindness. And, uh, you know, if we polled all the human beings on the planet, everybody would agree that kindness or loving kindness is a good thing. But very few human beings like us try to develop the capacity to relate in this way. We just don't put the time in. Even though we all agree, we would all agree it's a good thing. So this is what we're going to be doing the next three weeks is just a particular way of cultivating, or it's not even cultivating, in, in a way it's better to say revealing the heart that cares, the heart that's tender, the heart that's warm, the heart that's connected. And there are many, many ways. Even in the Buddhist tradition, there are many ways. And then, of course, if you look at other religious, spiritual traditions, you'll see that there are thousands of ways that human beings have learned to cultivate or rediscover this quality of the heart, this aspect of the heart. So we're going to begin really simple with a 15, 20-minute practice. And then I'll later in the evening, I'll introduce a more formal way of doing the loving-kindness or the metta practice. Metta is the word we usually use here at this center because it's the Pali word for uh, friendliness or loving-kindness. So it's nice to sit in a comfortable way. <coughs> and if the cushion you have isn't uh, right for you, feel free to shop around for a thicker one or a thinner one so that you feel like your body's supported. And if you're in a chair, also find uh, if you need a cushion or a blanket so you feel comfortable. It's nice to have the feet flat on the floor so you feel like there's some stability. Hands comfortably in the lap. And just take a couple of breaths as a way of coming into the present moment. Feel the body as you breathe in. Feel the body as you exhale. One more time, an easy, deep breath in. Fill the lungs. Then a long and easy exhalation. Just let things be. And we'll begin this reflection by just recalling from our own experience, how difficult it is to be a human being. In other words, how easy it is to make mistakes as a human being. Remembering times when we've acted out our anger, our irritation, <clears throat> our cynicism. Just remembering how easy it is to make mistakes. And when we make mistakes, we set emotion suffering for ourselves and for others. Like when we act out our greed, our neediness. 
Think about how many times we've set emotion, suffering, in our own heart and around us. So often we begin the loving-kindness practice by doing a forgiveness reflection, understanding how difficult it is to be a human being. We ask forgiveness so we can bring to mind somebody that we have harmed, whether we did it intentionally or not, just remembering a particular situation or see what situation comes to mind. And then as if you were right there with this person or these people, in your own words, silently in the mind, just ask for forgiveness. can ask several times from your heart, just asking for forgiveness. Please forgive me. And then take a moment and see if anybody else comes to mind. Any other situation from long ago or from earlier today, it doesn't matter. Any time that you might have harmed somebody. We've also been harmed at times in life. So in a way that feels safe, let's take a moment and remembering situations where we've been harmed. And as best we can in our minds, we offer the person or people involved, we offer them forgiveness. So just speak it in your own mind, these words of forgiveness. I know it's easy to make mistakes, so as best I can, I forgive you. Again, you can bring other people to mind, other people that might have harmed you in a way that feels safe, remembering how easy it is to act out of fear, act out of ignorance, and to create harm. So knowing that, it's easy to forgive. And then finally, we forgive ourselves for all the harm that we've set in motion to ourselves, for ourselves, for others. As best I can, I forgive 
this body and mind, this heart, for all its mistakes, all the harm that's been caused. I forgive myself. And just with a short forgiveness reflection like this, we're already setting the heart in motion in the direction of loving kindness. So to a very simple practice with the breath. As we breathe in, you can repeat in your mind, may this heart be at ease, we say with the exhalation. So we inhale, may this heart, exhaling, silently repeat, be at ease. So find a nice rhythm. You're not trying to make your breath long or short. Just let the breath be the way that it is. May this heart be at ease. So in a very simple way, sending good wishes to this heart right here, this mind and body. this heart be at ease. And as you repeat the words, connect the meaning of the words. It's a simple wish. May this heart be at ease. And just as we wish for this heart to be at ease, let's reflect for a moment that all the people here in this room, they also want to be happy and at ease. And all our friends and family members, they also wish to be happy and at ease. Even the difficult people in our lives, they also wish to be happy and at ease the birds, in fact, all beings wish to be happy and at ease. So we can just do the same practice, but instead of saying, may this heart, we can say, may all beings be happy and at ease with the exhalation. So breathing in, we repeat, may all beings be happy and at ease. And you can always adjust the phrase, make it more simple if that's what you need. So find a particular phrase that's easy for you to repeat with the breath. May this heart and all hearts be happy and at ease. 
whatever feels right. So we just work silently for a few minutes. For the last few seconds, just noticing the quality of this heart, this quality of upwelling of goodness, of our good wishes for the well-being and happiness of all beings, without exception. May all beings be at ease in the world. And if we bring to mind somebody who's suffering, like people in war or in poverty, or maybe a good friend who's had some loss, whenever the heart, the good heart, sees suffering, then the response is compassion. May you be free of suffering and the roots or causes of suffering. This is the natural wish of the compassionate heart. May you be free from suffering and all the causes of suffering. So just bring to mind somebody or some situation where you know people are suffering, people in difficult circumstances. And as you open your heart to what's happening here in this particular situation, just notice how the good heart responds with compassion. I care about your pain. May you be free of this pain and free of the roots of this pain, the causes. good heart sees joy, sees happiness, it responds with mudita, which means empathetic joy. So bring to mind somebody you know who has some success or some happiness now. And it can be very simple. They might just be out with a friend and you can just recall that and just know that they're happy now being with their friend. Or maybe a friend or a relative has gotten a good job or has had a baby, and they're happy. So bring to mind somebody's happiness, and let the good heart naturally respond to the happiness with empathetic joy, sympathetic joy. May your happiness continue. May it increase. May it never end. 
just noticing how the heart, the good heart, naturally knows how to relate to happiness. It just relates with empathetic joy. The thought or the feeling, may your joy continue. May it increase and may it never end. So just reflect on somebody's happiness for another minute or so. And then the final quality of this good heart is equanimity. Equanimity is uh, not always what we think of when we think of a loving heart. But equanimity is the quality of wisdom and love together. The heart that understands that things are the way that they are now. And it has the wish, the equanimous heart has the wish May we accept things just as they are. So you might think about people in your life or think about yourself. And you can just offer this simple wish. May we all accept things just as they are. May we find happiness and peace with things as they are. Or may we be open to things just as they are. Accept life just as it is. So find a particular way to express the wish, a way that works for you. Just have a minute or two. Let go of the phrases for a few seconds and just feel the heart. Notice how it is for you now. Learning to trust the inherent goodness of the heart. 
the heart that cares, the heart that rejoices in others' happiness, that heart that can see the beautiful in the world, a heart that can forgive. Doing the metta practice is a cause for confidence in the goodness of the heart. We learn to be confident in the inherent goodness of this heart. If you need to, take some time to stretch out your legs, make yourself comfortable. You can even stand uh, for a few seconds if you'd like. So many of you have come to Kamagam before. How many people have been to the monthly metta group on the first Friday of the month? So maybe about a third of you. And uh, in that monthly metta group, that's a drop-in group the first Friday of the month, and uh, we do a more formal practice that I'll be introducing, and the notes on the table cover introduce that formal practice. But I like beginning this way to remind us that metta isn't a practice, you know. We have practices that help us uh, sort of develop or recognize this capacity of the heart, but the practice itself isn't metta, it's just a technique, right? There are a lot of techniques that help us recognize something that's true about the heart. And so don't get stuck on the technique. I think it's really good to, the technique that I introduce it would be really good to sort of put some time into it. But I think it's equally important to be a little creative with the practice, whether you do it during your formal sitting time or just as you go about the day. You're sitting on the bus, and it's like a perfect time to do a metta reflection, a loving-kindness reflection. And you just find a way that your heart wants to respond. You just begin where, the heart, where it's easy to, for the heart to respond. That's one of the basic principles in all the techniques, is we start where it's easy, and it's like uh, we, the heart sort of rediscovers. There's a beautiful poem, maybe some of you know this, about rediscovering its loveliness. It's a line in a poem. I don't know if it's Galway Canal. I can't remember the poem now, but there's a phrase about uh, the bud rediscovering its loveliness. And it's, is that what it is? Yeah. Is it the sow that rediscovers its loveliness? Oh, okay. And who wrote that poem? Oh, it was Galway Canal. Okay. So this is like we use the technique to help the heart rediscover its loveliness. This, and the loveliness, the beauty of the heart, the goodness of the heart, is seeing that the heart can connect. Connect with suffering. So if suffering is what we're, what's in front of us, or in our life, then we see that the good heart can connect to suffering. We call that compassion. The Pali word for compassion is karuna. 
when the heart meets joy, like we did in our reflection, then the heart responds with mudita, empathetic joy. May your joy, may your happiness, may your success continue. May it increase, may it never end. That, that kind of wish or that sort of feeling. And then the general feeling of openness of the heart we call metta or loving kindness or friendliness. And metta is sort of the root emotion. The Buddha said there are only four emotions worth having. Loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. He says those are the only four emotions you need. Everything else gets in the way. And it's interesting, in sort of Buddhist psychology, these four emotions aren't so much something we cultivate. I mean, it's okay to use the word, you know, I'm, I'm cultivating loving kindness. But technically, that's not correct. What we're doing is we're weeding out aversion, and we're weeding out greediness, and we're weeding out ignorance. And what's left are these, what's left is the good heart that expresses itself as loving kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy and equanimity depending on the particular circumstance. <clears throat> and this is one of the characteristics of metta. Uh, one of the images, it's always likened to water. Water is used as an image for metta, like gentle rain. It actually comes, the, the root of the word metta uh, comes from gentleness. And there's this idea or the simile of gentle rain. And one of the aspects of water is that water knows how to fill a container perfectly. No matter the container, if we pour water in it, it just fills it. And this is like a, a metaphor for this heart, this heart that's free of self-centered greed and self-centered fear and self-centered aversion. When our heart is relatively or completely, maybe, but usually relatively, free of those afflictive emotions, greed and aversion, then it naturally knows how to fill the space of the moment, like how to respond. So normally we think, oh, I want to be compassion. And we kind of make it a, a self-centered activity, like I want to be compassionate to my wife or to my family or to my, you know, in my life. I want to be compassionate or I want to be kind or I want to be forgiving. But actually forgiveness and kindness and compassion happens freely, easily, effortlessly, when we've done our work at weeding out the aversion, weeding out the greed, weeding out the, the lack of clarity. So this is great because it relieves us of this idea that's very easy to have, especially among people who are interested in a spiritual life. It's really easy to have the idea that I should be kind, I should be compassionate, I should be for, forgiving. And then we think that the way to be kind and compassionate, etc., is to try hard. And if you you probably have noticed, it doesn't work very well. I mean, it's certainly better to try to be kind than to try to be mean. <laughs> but trying to be kind has a lot of tightness in it and fear. And often we judge ourselves when we're not kind. And that's not kind, right? Judging ourselves for being unkind is not kindness. It's called hatred and aversion. You know, if we judge ourselves harshly because we're not being kind, or not being forgiving, that's not kindness. It's the opposite. So we want to remember that. And in a way, as a way of sort of understanding this practice, you can even use the word non-aversion 
instead of loving kindness. Because Not because it's a better word, but because it might help you get away from that idealism, like, I'm going to be kind. I want, to be, I want people to see me as a kind person. Did you notice how kind I was when I guided you through the loving kindness practice? <laughs> you know, and we want, we want to be honored as a kind, loving, compassionate, forgiving person. And it begins to stink, you know. And, it's, and even if we don't get that no one's around us, we'll notice that our heart's contracted. Wanting to be kind is greed. That's a kind of greed, wanting to be kind. So what we're trying to do is practice non-aversion. What we're doing is purifying the heart of aversion, purifying the heart of greed. In fact, in the, in the traditional formulation for loving-kindness practice in Buddhism, the near enemy of kindness is attachment because it can masquerade as kindness. And you know what that's like when we're really attached you know, like if you have a good friend or a partner and you're really attached, really want them to get the job. Well, that's not kindness. That's attachment. You know, we, it's like uh, we want something in this situation. But the quality of metta, real metta, or unconditional kindness, is we don't expect anything in return. It's, it's literally a free gift. And that's one of the ways that we can recognize it. So one way is just to use the term non-aversion. So what we're, what we're doing in terms of a practice is we're seeing if there's any hardness in the heart, any aversion, any sort of effort at separation, at holding things apart, protecting. And then if we see those flavor, that flavor of aversion, then just the seeing of it can tease it out, weed it out. And then the other way, um, I just lost that train of thought. What was the way I just mentioned before this? Hmm? Yeah, but there was one thing I mentioned. Roger, I'll have to let it go. It will come back in a few seconds. Um, but in terms of the in terms of the formal metta practice, then, oh, I remember it's this quality of generosity. So, so one, one sort of avenue of training is seeing aversion and weeding it out. And the other is just getting the flavor of what generosity feels like. Because kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy, these are all, uh, there's, it has the energetic feeling of upwelling and moving out. And it's really a, a giving away. We are giving away our good wish of compassion, our good wish of um, happiness for wishing happiness for others or wishing joy for others we're giving that away freely and a, a true gift means we're not expecting anything back including we're not even expecting anybody to recognize that we have these good wishes that the heart is in this good place it's just it's like uh, the benefit of kindness and compassion and uh, sympathetic joy and equanimity is just itself. It's like being kind is its own reward. We don't need anybody to recognize that we're kind. Being compassionate is its own reward. Some people might think, you know, before we actually do real compassion practice and develop the capacity to be a compassionate person, we might think that compassion is a burden, like to 
love and take care of those people who are suffering might feel like a real burden to us. But that's not actually the experience of compassion. It, compassion is enlivening. I remember reading an article once where an inter, uh, a journalist was interviewing Mother Teresa and was saying something about, you know, how difficult it must be to take care of these people who are dying and are in such difficult situations. And uh, she, the way he described it, you know, she looked at him with such joy and such happiness, you know, as she was sort of taking care of the person in front of her and, and said, you know, basically, I, I don't remember her exact words, but something to the effect that this is a joy. She sees, you know, she would see Jesus in all these people. And it was a, a pure joy to be doing this. It wasn't a burden to be compassionate. It was, it was a joy. So this is what we want to discover. So then, then this is what we're looking for. Like I gave you the example, like when we're on the bus and we want to do a little loving kindness practice. Well, then what we look for is this quality of giving, like giving away goodness. And the, the key about giving away goodness is we have to tap into its immeasurableness. And this is a third aspect of metta. So not aversion. That's one way to remember loving uh, this quality of loving kindness is as the, the absence of aversion, the presence of generosity. And then the third quality is immeasurableness. That means it doesn't have a limit. Now, most, mostly we, we go through life with sort of a scarcity mentality. Like, I only have so much love to give, and I'm all tapped out right now. <laughs> so sorry, guys. But what the Buddha taught and what the tradition talks about is that metta, loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, equanimity, it doesn't have a limit. When, when the mind, heart is free of self-centeredness, then, then what's available is this limitless goodness, we could say. Now, those are just words. What we want to do is we want to wake up, in moments at least. You know, it's not like we're going to all of a sudden transform our heart from our greedy nature or aversive nature to just this radiant being. But every moment, even if it's just a little glimpse, where we see that uh, limitlessness of kindness, and compassion, it really restores our faith in the goodness of our heart, even though we won't be able to access it all the time, because we'll get caught up in our fear, or caught up in our greediness, our wanting. But even when we're caught up, we'll kind of remember there's something here, and I'm just not recognizing it right now. I'm lost. But we'll know we're lost, and it's different then when we don't know we're lost, like when we're caught up in aversion and we don't even realize we're caught in aversion, we just think this is how it is. I'm just, this is the way I should be because when my life is bad, I should be averse. Or when there's good possibilities, I should be greedy. But the more we touch the immeasurableness of the heart, the more we're not needy. We're, we don't need things in life. We're not looking to our intimate relationships to give ourselves something or our friendships to give us something. We're really living a life of generosity. Now, generosity doesn't exclude ourselves. So we can love ourselves and we can 
be generous with ourselves and we can forgive ourselves and we can be compassionate with ourselves just as we can be with others. But it doesn't matter whether we're relating to ourselves or others, we're relating gen with generosity because we're not afraid to give because we're touching in moments a kind of pool that is really deep. We don't see the bottom of this pool. And this is a direct experience that we have. And anybody, you know, in any spiritual tradition, people have had sort of mystic experiences or deep spiritual experiences. They talk about this, the depth of goodness. It's a, uh, in Buddhism, we often will talk about it as that the heart fundamentally can't be stained. There's nothing that you can do to actually stain the heart. You can obscure it. You can obscure the goodness of the heart. You can cover it over, you know, like when I get caught up in one of my greedy habits or my aversive habits or I get into my controlling mode or fearful mode, which I can do. Then that goodness is obscured and I can sort of lose confidence, especially if it's obscured for a while. But when we touch it, when we recognize it again, it reminds us that um, that this is something to trust. And it's, uh, it's kind of like uh, the enlivening power of our lives. So those are just some um, ways to uh, reflect on loving kindness. So three different ways. You can think about it in terms of non-aversion. And so then as a practice, as an informal and formal practice, we're just on the lookout for aversion. And in, in a way, we open to the aversion. The way you transmute or transform aversion is you meet it with loving kindness. So we're on the lookout for aversion. We see some part of the heart that's tight. And what do we do? We accept it. Right? That's what a kind person would do, seeing aversion. We accept the aversion in our heart. We accept the fear in our heart. We accept the boredom in our heart. We accept it. Doesn't mean we're saying it's good or bad. It just means we're not struggling with it. Ah, anger is like this. Can this heart be open to the anger that's like this now? We're not saying that we prefer there to be anger in the heart. We're just saying there is anger in the heart now. And accepting anger is not anger, right? That's loving kindness. Hating anger is more anger. Judging anger is more anger. So the way you transmute anger to loving kindness is you see the aversion and you accept it. The way you work with generosity, you know, kind of as a practice, is you find somebody you want to send out a good wish to. And that's what I'll be introducing in just a moment, because it's really like, it, that's the best way to think about the formal loving-kindness practice that we'll be using. And then the third way, it's not so easy to do as a direct practice, but what we're basically, as we go through our life, we're on the lookout for moments when we touch a kind of uh, uh, um, that deep pool of goodness. It's like we see something in our heart that's trustworthy. And so 
the third, this third way is really, uh, it's like a practice of faith. Faith in what our experience has shown us. So it's not a blind faith, but actually have faith. And maybe you can even remember moments in your past where your heart touched that kind of space, that infinite or immeasurable space of kindness, fearlessness, patience, or gratitude, you know, whatever particular flavor it had. And you use that memory, that experience, as a cause for faith or, or confidence in your heart and the inherent goodness of your heart. So that's the third way. Okay? So we have these three ways. This is, in a sense, like our homework. Practicing non-aversion, practicing generosity, and practicing faith in what we have experienced ourselves, what we've seen, the goodness of our heart that we've directly experienced ourselves, or even seen in other people, too. That could be a cause for faith, because if Orpan, you know, if I see Orpan being incredibly generous or grateful or forgiving or kind, you know, it can, we can see how she's an ordinary human being, I'm an ordinary human being. If her heart can respond to a situation in such a beautiful way, maybe my heart can too. So even we can even get faith seeing beautiful things in other people, not just from our own experience, although it's more powerful if we see it in our own heart, of course. Okay, any questions about those three qualities before we move on? Good, and we'll have time for questions and, and people to share the practice next week. So please, any experiences you have in this, these informal reflections that I'm suggesting, bring it next week. It would be really good to hear from each other. And now what I'd like to do is introduce the loving-kindness, the formal loving-kindness practice. And you have printed notes, and that first section is an outline for this practice, so it will help you remember it during the week. And if you don't have it now, you can just pick it up on the way out. So in this, now this is just a particular way that got developed in Buddhism. Um, and it's just a particular way of reflecting on loving kindness. And it involves three things. So we're actually making our mind work really hard because we're asking our mind to do three things pretty much at the same time. I mean, it's sort of rotating through these three things. The first thing we're doing is we're bringing to mind somebody who's easy to love. So we always start with somebody easy to love. And then through the course of our practice, we move out from people we, that are very easy to love. And usually, we begin with people who aren't so complicated in our lives. Like you might really love your mother, but it might be a really complicated relationship. So it would be better to use somebody that's not so complicated, like a niece or a nephew, a granddaughter, grandson, even your cat, <laughs> really. So uh, some being that's easy to love, we start there. And so the, in terms of the formal practice, we're training the mind to remember this person, either visually or, or just having some uh, direct sense of this person, and especially if we can, their goodness, remembering their good qualities. And so that takes some work. Carol? Is this person alive or could it be somebody in your It's okay for it to be someone who's dead, although it can get confusing if you choose someone who's dead because then the mind might wonder, well, where is this person? You know, how do I imagine this person? 
So in the, the Buddhist tradition, we wouldn't use a person who's passed away. There are other ways to reflect on people who've passed away, but in this practice we wouldn't, because we really want a clear image of the person, and that can get confusing when they're dead. Because then people think of their corpse, or, you know, that's not the person, but where are they? What do they look like? It gets confusing, or can get confusing. So that's the first part of the, uh, our job, doing the formal loving-kindness practice, remembering the person. The second part is we repeat some phrases. And you'll see they're printed four traditional phrases. And it, it starts with a phrase about protection. May you be safe and protected. But you can adjust that phrase so it's more meaningful for you. The second one is about mental happiness. And so traditionally, it's like, may you be free of mental suffering. That's a little bit awkward. So generally, we use something like, may you be happy and peaceful. And then the third is about physical well-being. So you just say something, may you be healthy, free from pain. Or I think it says there, may you be healthy and, uh, and strong. Yeah, may you be healthy and strong. Thanks. So, But some phrase like that about physical well-being. And the third, or the fourth phrase, rather, is about living with ease. So taking care of the responsibilities of being alive, taking care of all those responsibilities with ease, all your duties with ease and joy. Okay? So now that's work. So we're remembering the person. That's the first part of the job. And then as we're remembering the person, we're repeating phrases. And there's no need to rush these phrases. Take your time. So you repeat a phrase in your mind, silently in your mind, and then you pause for a few seconds and just connect with the meaning of the word. So it's not just an empty mechanical statement, but you're actually meaning what you're saying. So that's why you want to, if you need to, adjust the phrase so you can actually mean what you say. This is the generosity part. Each phrase is basically symbolizing our good wish for that person. So the phrase actually facilitates the generosity. We're connecting the saying of the phrase in our mind with this energetic good wish going out to the person. So we're actually, the heart is actually sending out a wish. Now, I know sometimes your heart's going to be as hard as a rock, or it will feel like it's asleep, or you feel like you just, a lot of heat, like you don't want to do it. But do it anyway. Just keep doing it. Be really gentle with yourself. Remember the person. Remember you care about this person. You can even say that. I care about this person. May you be safe and protected. May you be happy and peaceful. May you be healthy and strong. May you take care of your life with ease and joy. And maybe even a little slower than that. That was a little bit faster than you might want to go. And then you repeat it again. Each phrase is a gift. That's the second part. Now, the third part is you pay attention to your heart center. So those are the three jobs. Don't try to make your heart center any particular way. Completely accept it the way it is, but pay attention to it. So if it's really hard, notice that. If it's really like non-existent, like you don't feel anything there, then notice that. If it's like warm and radiant and like beautiful colors shooting out in all directions to all beings, then just notice that. So whatever it's like, we just notice how the heart is. We're remembering a person. We're repeating some phrases, and we're uh, um, feeling heart-centered. That's really the essence of this practice. 
we start with the easiest person and then when it feels like it's really easy to send out good wishes, loving wishes to that person, then you might move to slightly more difficult people, which means like good friends, family members. And then when it's really easy for you to work with your friends, your family members, then move to more neutral people, like people you don't have any particular relationship with. Like it could even be the person sitting next to you in the room that you saw when you came in, but you don't really know the person, but you know they're a human being, and you know they want to be happy, and you just work with them. Or it could be the bus driver you see every day, or the person who's always at the, you know, the cashier at the checkout line, that you, the store that you go to, or the person in the office who you don't really know well. So you just bring somebody neutral to mind, and you start having these very beautiful, loving wishes for ordinary people who you don't know. And then when you get really good at neutral people, you start working with difficult people in your lives. You know, people that you have hurt you, people that irritate you, people who you think are ignorant and doing bad things, and you send loving wishes to them. And then from there you start working with groups of people, all women, all males, all poor people, all rich people, all animals all birds, all insects. So basically you're just seeing if there are any boundaries like where your heart won't open and you practice working there. And when it gets really difficult, then back up to one of the categories or one of the individuals that's easy to work with. So don't, don't feel like you have to stick if it's not working. Then go back to where it's working, get some momentum, and then again push the edge a little. Work with somebody that's a little bit more challenging. Okay? So any questions about the basic instructions? We're going to do uh, some practice, but we'll stretch our legs in just a moment. But first, if there are any questions about the basic instructions for the metta practice. It's really nice to be comfortable when you do this practice. So uh, often when we're sitting in our mindfulness meditation, we try to have the body really upright because it supports the clarity. And then if pain starts to come, we just look at the pain with mindfulness. But with metta practice, if there's a lot of pain in the body, it distracts us from doing the practice. So try to have your body relatively comfortable. If pain builds up after several minutes, then just move your body a little bit to release the pain so that you're not being distracted. You can really get absorbed and those three things, remembering the person, repeating the phrases, feeling the heart center. Okay? So let's stretch your legs for a couple minutes, and then we'll sit down, and we'll do some practice together. If you didn't get a chance to sign in, you can sign in. I signed a colon, but I didn't know your name.
So whenever you feel ready, have a seat. Do your best. It may not be easy, but do your best to find a comfortable sitting position. Take a couple of deep, easy breaths just to help the body settle back in. And then eventually allow your breathing just to continue on its own. So you're not trying to make your breath any particular way. When you're ready, bringing to mind somebody easy to love. Just take a few seconds to remember this person as best you can, and especially remembering their goodness. Maybe their smile, something good, kind that they've done. Remembering them happy. As you remember this person, just remembering that you care about them. And even as you remember that, you might start noticing your heart center. Feeling the heart center as it is. And I'll just remind you of the phrases a couple times, and then we'll continue in silence. So as we're remembering this person, May you be safe and protected in all ways. And may your heart be happy and peaceful. May your body be healthy and strong. And may you take care of your life with ease and joy. May you be safe and protected in all ways. May your heart be happy and peaceful. May your body be healthy and strong. May you take care of your life with ease and joy. And just continue now on your own.
it's okay to adjust, adapt the phrases so that they're meaningful to you. You can just continue with this person the whole meditation period if you'd like. 
But if you feel like you'd like to move on to another easy person, then just see who else comes to mind. Might be a good friend, might be a mentor, somebody who's really been there for you. Just bring the person to mind. Again, if you can, remember their goodness. And then when you're ready, just begin to repeat the phrases, slowly connecting with the meaning. Feel the generosity of each good wish. Feel the heart center. Even if your mind wanders, there's no need to judge. Just begin again by remembering the person, begin the phrases, connect with the meaning of the phrases, and feel the heart center as you do this.
again, you can just continue with the person you're working with. But at some point, you may want to work with yourself. So just change the phrases slightly. May I be safe and protected in all ways. May my heart be happy and peaceful. May this body be healthy and strong. May I take care of this life with ease and joy. Just continue on your own. And if it feels like there's some momentum in the heart, quality of openness and warmth, you can move on to neutral people. 
but don't feel like you have to. You could just continue with those who are easy to work with. Whoever comes to mind that your heart naturally wishes to connect with. But if you'd like, bring to mind some neutral people. Your mailman or male person. Also, if you feel like it, and only if it feels right, you can also bring to mind some difficult people in your life and try to do the practice with them, remembering that even though they may be difficult, they also wish to be happy.
even a shop now. We just bring it to mind, <clears throat> with our eyes closed, we just bring to mind the fact that there are people here in this room. You might even know some of the people here. Just have a sense of the people around you, in front, behind. Everybody here in this room simply wishes to be happy, just like each of us wishes to be happy. Just let the heart open to all of these people here. May everybody here in this room be safe and protected in all ways. May all of our hearts be happy and peaceful. May we all have good health, freedom from pain, strong bodies. And may we all take care of our lives with ease and joy. And then just recalling all the humans on this planet, all the other beings here on this planet. May all the living beings on this planet be safe and protected in all ways. May all the living beings here be happy and peaceful, healthy and strong. May all the beings be at ease. And may all beings in all directions throughout the universe, seen and unseen, may all beings be happy and at ease, free from suffering. a little time for questions about the practice or even just comments about what you noticed doing the practice that you'd like to share with the group. It's always nice to hear from one another. So if you have any questions or comments, please share them. Nicole? I'm going to have to speak loud so it bounces all the way to the back. I'll try. I noticed that during the practice that when I did the easy people, I felt a lot of generosity. When I had to the more difficult people, I felt more like I want them to be happy because it's easier for me if they're happy. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm just wondering, does that mean I'm not ready to do the difficult people, or is there something that I can do at that point? Mm -hmm. uh, did you hear the colon back? <coughs> so it, it is more difficult to work with difficult people. And like the whole, the whole practice is being on the lookout for the near enemy, which is any kind of attachment. So what you described is a form of a subtle form of attachment, like wanting someone to be happy because it would make it easier for me. 
as opposed to when they're grumpy. So, uh, but you can still do it for them. But just just notice, like as you're doing the practice, notice the attachment. And and if you can, it's almost like we're shifting our view and we're really seeing that they're just a human being who wants to be happy, like really connecting that. And if it doesn't work, then go back to yourself and really work with yourself. Like, I want to be safe and protected. And so this person, when they're not happy, it makes me feel unsafe and unprotected. And you can just start working with yourself. May I be safe and protected. May this heart be happy and peaceful. So come back to where it's easy, where it's authentic. And when it's strong, then it's easier to not get caught in the attachment. Now, it's true that their happiness will make you happier. You know, will make it easier for you. But what the mind is focusing on is the, the wish for their happiness. Because everybody deserves to be happy. Because we know what it's like to not be happy. So therefore, we want everybody to be happy. So that's really where we want to come from. And if you really start more wanting to take care of yourself, then, then you might as well work with yourself directly. And because then it will be authentic. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts people have or questions? What you notice? Brothers? I noticed that at first it was pretty intense, the feeling of loving kindness, and then like after maybe five minutes. happen is the, the feeling gets really strong and it helps us to relax because it's a pleasant feeling usually and <clears throat> what we have to do is we have to maintain the a certain intensity in the practice like really like we're really working the mind like we want to really see what's beautiful about this person we, we're training the mind to see the beautiful actually seeing the beautiful is the proximate cause for recognizing this quality of the heart, this immeasurable quality of the heart, seeing the beauty. So we're actually, we have to work at seeing the beauty. You know, it's easy at first, but to do it in a continuous way is not easy. It's a special kind of muscle that needs to be developed. Yeah, it's easy, like, when I started reaching this shift to do it at first, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Mm, you know, yeah, yeah. So sometimes then, if that's the typical way it is for you, then it may want to use less people and really go through some ebb and flows with the same person. Like it gets really strong, and then the mind gets bored, and then you find yourself getting re- like learning how to get reinterested in that person, really connecting, really feeling the authentic wish, well wishing for that person, and then it gets strong again, and then the mind gets bored or gets sloppy or whatever. And because what we learn is that. Uh, in the end, we don't need a person, right? It's like we, the wish goes out equally in all directions to all beings. But So we're just using the person to sort of ignite something. And then the joy of metta itself will keep us away. So when there is some feeling of the heart being alive, then you can even drop the particular person. And at times, you can even drop the phrases. 
Now, I hesitate saying that to a group. I know not some of you aren't beginners, but because, uh, of course, it's hard work to repeat the phrases, so we're looking for an excuse to stop repeating the phrases. But the, the basic practice is when the feeling of loving kindness or compassion or whatever particular flavor of the heart it is, when that heart, that flavor of the heart is really clear and strong as a present moment happening, then you don't need the uh, repetition of the phrases and you don't even need to remember the person. You basically take the feeling of loving kindness as the object of meditation. So then you're just meditating on the goodness of the heart, this sort of upwelling of goodness and let it radiate out. It will anyway, you can't stop it. So you're basically just meditating on the experience of the heart opening and radiating out, that goodness opening and radiating out, and not getting confused by the pleasantness of it, like trying to hold on. Now, it's not always pleasant. Sometimes it feels like your heart's breaking. Uh, the heart, when it's stiff and then begins to open up, it can hurt. It literally hurt. I don't know if any of you noticed that. It's Kamala Masters, one of uh, the teachers of metta that I've worked with, she talks about like if you squeeze your fist for a long, long, long time, like five minutes, really tight, and then you open it, it really hurts to open it. It's not easy to open it. And if, our, if we go around living our lives where our heart is mostly in a fear state or in a greedy state, so it's tight, contracted, and then we do some of this practice, you know, it can really, there can be some real hurt as it begins to open. But it feels good, the hurt, but it's still, it's painful. But when those sensations are strong, you can just let that be the object of meditation because it will kind of energize the whole practice. And uh, the repetition of the phrases and the remembering of the person will be almost too gross. It will actually keep the practice from developing. So then let that go for a while. But then when that feeling of loving kindness isn't so strong, then just go right back to the phrases, just sort of doing the grunt work, remembering a person or people, a group of people, Remembering them, remembering them, and repeating the phrases. Each phrase is a gift. You know, we just sort of do the work. No matter how dry it is, we just keep doing it. Because we know it will be dry, and then it will be wet, and, you know, wonderful, and then it will be dry. Sometimes it's dry for a long time, and sometimes it's really wonderful for a long time. And it just, there's no rhyme or reason. We just accept the way that it is. Because we know it's not a dangerous practice. I mean, what could be dangerous about remembering people and sending out good wishes and feeling the heart center. I mean, it's perfectly safe, and uh, we can just make ourselves do it. Because we know, it's, you know, this has got to be relatively wholesome at least, and I'm certainly not harming anybody, and the class is going to be over in two minutes or whatever. So I can just hang in there. And he even said I can move my body if it hurts. But at times, you will see, your mind will resist this as if this practice is killing it. You know, like, I won't do it. That sort of baby, uh, sort of two-year-old, three-year-old tantrum. The mind will tantrum, like, you can't make me do it. I did this once for, uh, I've done a couple of long uh, metta retreats where all I did was this practice for weeks on end. And, uh, and one, when I was first learning that first long retreat, I think it was just a nine-day loving-kindness re- retreat, and uh, I just, my mind was just so resistant. I would, it would forget the phrases. Now, this is after years of practice and, you know, four days of a retreat where all I was doing was repeating these phrases, and my mind just wouldn't remember them. So I had to write them out big and have them in front of me so I could sit with my eyes open because my mind was just 
basically throwing a tantrum, a little tantrum. And, and then sometimes it was so difficult, I couldn't even sit. My mind was so resistant, so I would stomp kind of in the woods, back and forth, saying the phrases out loud. So it's really nice to not believe the resistance that comes up, because why can't we remember somebody we love? And why can't we repeat a few phrases? You know, remember I said you can change the phrases. Just don't keep changing them. If once you decide the phrases you like, then just stick to them. Don't then, so like after a day, no more changing. <laughs> so you have 24 hours to either use the traditional phrases or to come up with some phrases that, and it can even be one phrase, it doesn't have to be four. Okay, but then just stick to it. Because it isn't the phrase, it's just that we're just redirecting the heart. So just use any words that sort of turn the heart in the direction of kindness. So we'll leave it here. It's 9 o'clock. If you have questions, feel free to come up afterward. And please sign in if you haven't. And we'll see you next Thursday night. Have a good week of practice, everyone. Thanks for coming.